So 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David and Goliath. It is one of the most famous stories in all of literature. And what's sad is sometimes it's relegated to a children's story. But I love what Eugene Peterson says. He said the reason why we have children's stories is they're timeless. The morals serve us for the rest of our lives. And uh, it reminded me of a few years ago, uh, Miss Sabrina, who teaches at Innovate Academy, our Christian school, asked me to come down and read Green Eggs and Ham to our first grade class. And I remember being really busy that day. I had all these decisions to make, and I'm prepping for sermons. And I'm sitting down with the first grade class, and I'm reading, Sam, I am, do I like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam, I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. And I'm reading this, and there's only 50 words, and Dr. Seuss was brilliant. And I went back to my office and said, of all the leadership books I've ever read, and of all I'm doing right now, the moral of this story is more important than anything I'm doing. It's just timeless. And these stories are that way. Peterson said, every child is a Columbus, a Marco Polo, a Galileo, a David. We all want to grow up and kill giants. We all want to be the underdog who slings a stone and has the victory. We want the people to cheer. Peterson said, the world is so wide to children. It's so wonderful. There's so much to see, to taste, and to hear. But you and I know David and Goliath is not a children's story. It's not a fairy tale. It comes right out of Israel's history book. And it was written thousands of years ago. It's a true story. And I wonder, and I prayed about this, is it a story you and I need to read again and again and again? There is a lifelong lesson here that I think we need to know and that we need to understand because you and I are facing battles. We're facing giants. There's obstacles in our way. You and I are human. That's the name of our series. We're being human because we are so much like David. David was at a crossroads. David, for the rest of his life, would be chased. He would face fear and ambition. And he, and this is the beautiful thing, he had a God that was walking with him. That's what it means to be human. It means to walk in this life with a God who's not afraid of the things and the challenges that we face. I'm always drawn to the story of Moses, this man who grew up in Pharaoh's house, understood complex, or, complex organizations, was raised in the best schools of Egypt, and he finds himself 40 years on the backside of a desert raising sheep. It's a common theme. It's a dead-end job. And one day he sees a bush, and it burns, but it's not consumed. And he turns aside to see this sight, and he hears the voice of God for the first time. And God says to him something very hard to understand. He said, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And I often wonder, why was that ground holy? We won't get into that tonight. But if you understand anything about that culture, they wore sandals and the feet of those people was the dirtiest part of a human being. That's why in that culture, hospitality was to foot wash. In so many ways, what God was saying is, I'm not afraid of the dirtiest part of you touching my holiness. In so many ways, it was God saying, I know your feels, your failures, your insecurity, your doubt. I know your struggles. I know everything you're facing. In 1 Samuel 17, when we read the story of David and Goliath, this, day, this Goliath, this champion comes out, and he's a great trash talker, right? He's better than Michael Jordan. He comes out, and he's trash talking the army of Israel. And I'm drawn to this verse 
verse 11, where it said, the armies of Israel and Saul were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. The Hebrew says they were terrified. Now, you got to picture this. This isn't like the Dallas Cowboys against Temple University. No no slander to Temple University. This, this isn't like um, an uneven battle. On Israel's side was Saul. And by the way, Saul was seven feet tall. I don't know if you know that. And the armies of Israel, they, they were warriors. So why all the fear? Why are they so terrified? To understand their fears, to understand our fears, you have to understand who the Philistines were. The Philistines were the arch enemies of Israel. Now you have to understand the Israelites had many enemies, right? The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Egyptians, goes on and on and on. But the Philistines were their arch enemies. They were so much the arch enemies of Israel that the Romans changed the name of Israel to Palestine. That's where we get Palestinian today. The Palestinians were ruthless and barbaric. They came from the area of the Aegean Sea around Greece. Uh, they worshipped foreign gods. They had idolatrous practices. They had temple prostitution. Uh, all those things that nations had in that day. But one thing that made them unique is they brought a new technology to the Middle East called iron technology. When you read the description of Goliath, it says he had a sword, a javelin, and an iron-tipped spear. Uh, the weight on that spear was 20 pounds. It was larger than a bowling ball. He has a coat of mail. He's nine feet tall. He's a real human being. He's like a, he's like a Humvee, a Hummer tank. He's got all the latest technology. And Israel's terrified. First Samuel 13, 9 said, according to Israel, there was not even a blacksmith in the land. They knew nothing of this technology. The battle is in the Valley of Elah. Now, I know you know nothing about that geography. I've been there many times. It's an area that they call the Shephelah. It's the lowlands of Israel. Uh, it's right in the middle of the Judean mountains and the sea. It's the entrance to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. What's important about this is it was strategic. It was fought over many times, again, by the Babylonians, the Assyrians. What was at stake here was the future of Israel and something greater than even the future of Israel. It was an idea, an idea that God could rule people, an idea that human rights and human beings were valuable, an idea that human beings could live by law. You might say, what was at stake here was a clash of cultures, two ways to live. Hard to believe that ever happened, right? Hard to believe there was ever people on one side and the other battling, right? Yeah, we're living through that now. And because we have iPhones and we have technology, we see the battle raging all the time. And the one thing I want to share with you, and I've talked about this many times, there's a, there's a giant in our land, and there always has been. Now, you have to understand when I say land, be very, very careful. When we say land, there's only ever been one land, and that's the nation of Israel. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, God said, this is my land. He gives the boundaries and borders. So when you use that verse, if my people who were called by my name will pray and submit themselves, I'll heal, heal their land, you have to understand God was talking only about one land that was Israel. And I believe the principle applies. Don't misunderstand me. There's a giant in our land, and there always has been. There is a giant who is loud and strong, has the latest technology, can outmaneuver us, outman us, 
and he's alive and well today. People are emailing me. People are writing me. Pastor Bob, what do we do? We've never seen anything like this before. We have COVID-19. We have political agendas. We have lies from one side, lies from the other side. We have racial injustice. We have all these things going on. What's going on? Are you going to talk about it? Yeah, I'm going to talk about it when I'm ready to talk about it, probably in September. But I want to tell you, what we're seeing now is only the aftershocks, what's been going on for a long, long time. There's a giant in our land. This giant lies to us about sexuality, lies to us about family, lies to us about race, lies to us about God. This giant has been trash-talking for thousands of years. Seemingly, everyone's afraid. Everyone's dismayed. Everyone's terrified. But there's always a verse, like verse 12, that says, Now David. In all this doom and gloom, verse 12 says, now David. God always has a man. God's eyes look to and fro. God always has a man. It says, now David comes on the scene. Now, David's a shepherd. He was anointed by Samuel, but he's back tending sheep. But one day his dad says, hey, you know, your older brothers, and by the way, the older brothers, we know by their names, they look like warriors, right? It says David's ruddy. David is a shepherd. David's probably 16. Ruddy means red. He's red-complected. He looks like Richie Cunningham against this giant. His brothers, from an outward appearance we already know, are all that. And his dad says, hey, your older brothers, and in that culture, they were the ones that counted. Your older brothers are out at war. They're out of battle. Take them some lunch. David goes out. He takes them to lunch. In verse 26, he sees Goliath for the first time. It says Goliath went out morning and evening 40 times, 40 days. That's, that's 80 times trash-talking Israel. David said, how long has this been going on? You guys are going to let this uncircumcised Philistine get away with this? I think many of you know that... Uh, I contracted COVID-19. I was sick for about two and a half weeks, got better, I'm feeling great. And uh, I went to a teledoctor and then I got swabbed at Jefferson in a parking lot. So uh, one day I wrote my doctor and said, hey, by the way, just for your records, I had COVID-19. You know what his response was? You've never heard this on the news. Listen to this. Everybody's gonna get this. We just need to slow the hospitals down. Everybody's going to get this. Now, that's one doctor, but even to this day, I wonder, what did he know that we still don't know? Because once they quarantined everybody, they couldn't tell you everybody's going to get this. They had to tell you nobody's going to get this. What's my point? The first lesson from David fighting Goliath, I think, is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are not immune to giants, battles, and obstacles in our life. And I feel like I have to say that because there's a doctrine in the church that says if you give your life to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll be immune from most of the things in this world. I don't want to fool anybody by thinking because you give your life to Christ, because you're even baptized, that things are going to go well for you. They actually might heat up. Goliath might rage just a little more. How do I know? David was anointed 
king of Israel a few chapters ago. The oil ran down his beard. He's going to be the king of Israel. He could have put his feet up and said, when are they going to start feeding me grapes? When are they going to put a title on the door? When are they going to start serving me? Instead, he goes out and he sees a giant between him and all that God has for him. Uh, I know a lot of you are watching Netflix, and there's a documentary on there called The American Gospel. I recommend everybody watch it. It's about the prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it gospel, uh, which only plays out here in America in the Western world. And I think I can talk about it because I was a new Christian in that movement. I know it by heart. I know it frontwards and backwards. I almost have a Ph.D. in it. And it's one of these doctrines that promises you that, you know, though the battles will rage, you will always be victorious. Now, we will be victorious, and I'll explain why later. But again, I think battles tell us a lot about who we are. We find out a lot about the army of Israel through battle. We find out a lot about Saul. We find out a lot about David. And I think we're going to find out a lot about ourselves. In verse 32, David says to Saul, don't worry, Saul, don't lose heart, for I will go and I will fight this Philistine. And you got to remember, Saul's afraid. Saul's afraid of losing his throne. Saul's afraid of losing his kingdom. The seven-foot man who's also a warrior, he's afraid of Goliath. Saul said, you can't fight this man. You're a youth. He's a man of war, and he's been a man of war since the day he was born. He's a Navy SEAL. David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. Now I want to stop here. Because I think there's an illusion in the church where, where we think that when we face battles, when we face obstacles, there's kind of an answer that I'm not worried about it because the Lord is going to get me through. The battle's the Lord's. And it's true, the battle is the Lord's, but sometimes I think there's an illusion that, that we can muster up courage, that we can be like David, that we can run on adrenaline, that one day, in the heat of the battle, I'll rise up like David, and I'll be victorious. There's a funny story that brings this out. There's a man who arrives at the pearly gates. You all know who's there, right? Just humor me. Who's at the pearly gates? Peter. Peter said, I looked at your resume. You didn't do anything particularly good or bad, so I don't know what to do with you. Can you give me one impressive thing you did in your life? Guy thinks for a moment. He says, well, once I witnessed a group of bikers menacing a young woman. So I stopped my car. I walked up to their leader, this huge, hairy, ugly man with lots of tattoos. He had a nose ring, and I ripped it right off his nose, and I said, you leave this girl alone, and all of you get out of here, or you're going to answer to me. Peter said, that's impressing. How long ago was that? And what happened? He said, I don't know. It was just a few minutes ago. <laughs> I think the lesson here is David's courage, and he tells us, was building for a long, long time. It was building in the mundane things that we do every single day. Every decision we make, everything we do, God is building our courage. David, think about this. He's a shepherd boy. He's the youngest of eight sons. They gave him the job anybody can do. It's a dead-end job. Watch sheep. You know what a lot of us do? And I hear people talk about this all the time. I'm in a dead-end job. I cringe when I hear that. 
David didn't think he was a dead-end job because God was his boss. The book of Colossians says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Because you work for God, not men, and God will promote you. And God will pay you, and God will move you on. And David's out there with sheep. And I can just picture it's nighttime. The sheep are kind of bedded in, and he looks up, and he can see the stars. You know, my dad lives in Arizona, and there's, there's little light out in the mountains, and you can reach up and touch a star. And I picture David looking at those stars saying, when I look at the heavens, when I look at the moon and the stars that you've created, what is man that you are mindful of? You made him a little lower than the angels. I picture David with the sheep, and instead of complaining that he's in a dead-end job, he's like, wow, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in the green pastures and beside still waters, and though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with me. David, while he was alone, was building a theology of God. He was walking with God. He was being human. He was seeing God in the little things. He understood God was preparing him for one day a road that he would walk down. I think of my life. You can think of your life. That everything I have done until this day prepared me for what I do right now. You guys are sitting on a lawn. You're sitting on a beautiful property. My stepfather was a landscaper. A dead-end job. But that dead-end job prepared me for the beauty that you see here now. My mom was in the food industry. We have a restaurant. I could go on and on and on. There's no such thing as a dead-end job when Jesus is your boss. God's the one who promotes us. He's the one we work for. We should never be bitter. We should always be thankful. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or bear came and tried to take a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it. I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard, and I struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has delivered the, defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if Saul's being cynical. I don't know if Saul's out of options. I don't know if Saul thinks David's expendable. But he says, go. If this is what you want to do, go. And he gives him his armor. Now, it's quite humorous to me. You heard David's voice in the reading. He's a little teenager. Saul's 52 long, David's like 32 short. I picture this little kid with all this armor, he can't move. And his response to Saul is, this is strange to me, I've never tried it. Guys, I've tried it, I've seen it. You never want to wear Saul's armor. In the kingdom of God, you don't want to be anybody else. Yeah, that's worth applause. We're so prone to copy. We're so prone to want to be like this person on TV or the person across the aisle or the neighbor that we know or this Christian or that Christian. Uh, there's a quirky little business that puts up a sign once a week, and they're all good. And would you believe a day where I'm teaching on this, the sign said today on a Saturday, had the courage to be who you were meant to be? 
Isn't that amazing? David had such a bold heart. He had such a courageous heart because he had a desire to walk with God and be the person he was created to be. He didn't read a book on principles of giant killing that morning. He didn't sing worship songs about giant killing. David had confidence in the God who had served him in the small things, and he would deliver him in the big things. And David does this in the Valley of Elah. And the text doesn't sell us, but I know he had to do it. David bends down. He's in a kneeling posture. There's a giant in front of him, Goliath, and there's a giant behind him, Saul. And he reaches down, and he picks up five smooth stones. In all humility, he bends down. And I think about that because the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That the weapons God has given us, laughable by the world's standards, can change the world and have. You have something David doesn't have. You have 3,000 years of history. You know the history of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. You know the history of the Western world. You know the path Christianity has forward. You know the lives that have been changed. David doesn't know any of this. All he knows is he bows before the God of Israel and he picks up five smooth stones. Why? Because David was a slinger. Goliath is a tank. David is a slinger. What am I talking about? Malcolm Gladwell has written a series of books. He's a sociologist. He's written Outliers, The Tipping Point. Many of you have read them. He has a book called David and Goliath. It's a business book. It's about how small companies can outmaneuver large companies. But in his preface, he writes about this story that we're reading tonight, David and Goliath. And he talks about how it's not the upset we think it is. Because David was a slinger, and slingers in those days could take a smooth stone and they could sling it 100 yards to the last person sitting in the last row and hit him right in the forehead. That's how David killed lions and bears. David had confidence because he had done it before. David had confidence, though he didn't have superior technology. When David rises up, the giant begins to trash talk him. The giant says, you come at me with a stick? Am I a dog? The Philistine curses David by his God. Come to me and I will feed your flesh to the birds. You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, David said. I come to you, the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcass to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field, that all the earth may know. And this is when the battle's over. That there's a God in Israel. David's a pretty good trash talker himself, isn't he? And he rears back on the first stone, not the second, not the third, not the fourth, not the fifth. And he hits that giant right in the middle of the forehead. Now I'm going to tell you, I think David closed his eyes and winged it 
And I think wherever that stone was going, it was like angels in the outfield. And God moved it and hit that giant the only place that would kill him. And I think the reason it worked is because he said that what is at stake here is not only God's name, but God's plan and God's dream. What was at stake was you and me on this lawn and all that's happened through redemptive history. I look at David's courage. I look at his bold heart. I look at where it came from. I look at why God chose this man, a man after God's own heart. I think of Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the principles of this world and not according to Christ. Why? Because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And listen, you're complete in him. See, I told you when we study the Old Testament, the idea isn't that you and I are going to become David's. That doesn't work. Malcolm Gladwell said that anybody who does something for 10,000 hours gets really good at it. David had probably 10,000 hours slinging stones. You're not going to slay Goliath by spending 10,000 hours on how to conquer the enemy or becoming a David. That's not what we're trying to do. You see, David, like Goliath, was a champion. The champion was someone who would fight on the behalf of everyone. It was very smart. It was ingenious. Let's save all these men dying. Let's save all this money. You get your guy. We'll get our guy. Everybody has a guy. Let them fight whoever wins. That's the victor. The champion of the Philistines was Goliath. The champion for Israel was David. But we need to go from David to our champion, Jesus Christ. We don't need to become like David, and we certainly can't become like Jesus. We need David to lead us to Jesus. Why? Because Paul said we are complete in him. You have the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You have the helmet of salvation. In the evil day, you can stand. And we're reminded here that there's a giant in our land. There's a giant in our path. Satan wants to devour us. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Look at our nation. Look at the world. Look at people's lives. And there is a champion who has come to give us life. And this is where our courage comes from. You know, my courage isn't in how many Bible verses I can quote. My courage is in how faithful I'll be when the Goliath comes. My courage is in the God who saved me, that the word that has gone into my heart, that it'll come when it's necessary, that by grace that I've been saved, and my true courage is in him, that I would know the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. And I look at people that have great courage today. I look at somebody like Tim Tebow, and we could talk about countless others, who could stand up to a culture and say, I'm a product of abortion. I should have been an abortion. My ch mom chose me to live. And the position God has granted him, he could with boldness and courage declare that. 
We can go on and on. People that go to schools every day, people that go to the workplace who stand in courage and defy the giants that are before them. Maybe you're on this lawn and you don't know Christ. Krista talked about the battle that was raging. She was shaking because there's such a battle because the Goliath doesn't want to let go. The Goliath of addiction, relational Goliath, materialism, for a lot of you, death, fear of death. David said what was at stake was God's name. What was at stake was a nation and law and Christ. As we look at this giant in our land, and there are many, the thing we need to understand is we are conquerors. Again, not because we can mount up like David, but because we have a champion. We have a champion who goes before us. We have a champion who told us what's going to happen in this world. We actually stand on the precipice of human culture. We could see where the word of God has taken us. The only reason we think things are sliding, do you ever wonder how they got to a place? If there ever was a place where they were amazing, only because of the gospel, only because of Jesus. David reminds us that we're all going to face giants. There's all and every one of us obstacles before us. No one's immune. But we have a champion. I met this champion 37 years ago. I've had battles. I've won. I've had battles I lost. But I'm in the battle. And I hope you're in it too. Last thing I want to remind you, and this is so important. David had a giant before him, and he killed him with one stone. The giant behind him would follow him for the rest of his life, King Saul. Would chase him with javelins and spears and try to squash out everything David was meant to be. In the Christian faith, some giants go easy. Some people get free of drugs right off the bat, free from cursing, free from materialism, free from this, free from that. Some giants fall with one stone. Some giants stick around for a long, long time. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Paul had people that forsook him. A lot of you giants have gone a long, long time ago, some of them are still around. And they're not going to leave by casting him out in the name of Jesus. They're not going to leave just because we quote the word of God. Some giants hang around for a long, long time. And listen, I don't know what God's up to. I don't know what he's up to in your life. I certainly don't know what he's up to in my life. I know this. He's with me. And I know David, when he, when he conquered Goliath, he must have felt amazing, and he wound up with sheep again, and he wound up being chased by Saul. Listen, there's a daily battle. There's a daily battle. 
giants, sometimes they fall, sometimes they stay. I think we need to remember. David faced his fears, and he was willing to die. Jesus did die, and he rose again. We have a greater than David, and his name is Jesus Christ.